This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. In this episode, our guest is Umesh Ramakrishna. He's a leader at Kingsley Gate Partners. That's a global executive search firm. And Umesh is also a popular speaker and a media personality. He's, he's known as a thought leader on topics like innovative leadership and the international job market. We'll talk about how technology is changing the hiring system and what professionals should be doing to be searchable. We'll discuss what it takes for a leader to advance to the top of an organization. And Umesh will explain why this is the perfect time for organizations to invest in diversity and inclusion. Umesh, I I know that you are a founder and a leader at Kingsley Gate Partners, which is a an executive search firm that has offices all over the world and clients spread around the world too. Um, so even though you're based in Cleveland, you've got a, a, a wonderful grasp of trends in the job market and leadership cultures. And so I have lots and lots of questions uh, I want to ask you about, and I want to dip into your expertise. But before we do that, I, I always like to get a sense of how did you get where you are? What is your career story that brought you to being this expert on leaders and growing leaders and hiring leaders? How did you become a leading executive, search executive? Well, first of all, Bev, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be on your podcast. Uh, You know, I grew up in India. And uh, when I was growing up, I remember being fascinated by people who could get others to do things for them. Now, some of them did that through intimidation, bullying, coercing. But what really fascinated me by were the folks that were able to do this without any of those tactics. Yes. Uh, giving them a win-win situation, you know, getting them to do things that maybe they didn't think they could do. Now, to be completely honest, I didn't think of this to be any leadership trait or anything else. I was too young to know any of that. But when I look in the rearview mirror, that's probably when I started getting fascinated by different leadership styles. Now, fast forward a decade or so uh, into the late 80s, uh, early 90s, I'm the chief operating officer of an engineering services company, Bev. And my CEO calls me to his office and says, Mesh, there's this new concept called offshoring. You're Indian, so I'm sure you know about this. And (laughs) I remember (laughs) sitting there thinking, you know, yes, all 1.3 billion of us live in one apartment and that's what we do (laughs) offshoring. But uh, I told him, I look, I don't have the foggiest idea of how to do this. And he said, well, why don't you go and hire a uh, president of offshoring and have him or her report to you? And that's when I came in touch with a retained search firm. It was called Christian and Timbers. It was a really high-flying boutique. And, uh, you know, long story short, I went there to retain them, somehow turned the tables on me, and I found myself being uh, a part of Christian and Timbers. At the time, though, Bev, it was, in my head at least, just an experiment. 
I told myself I'd experience this new industry. At, at least it was news to uh, new industry to me. And after a couple of years, I would move on. But there was one thing that I wasn't ready for. I didn't realize how much I would learn. As you correctly pointed out, Bev, you know we're all over the globe and we're meeting captains of industry, uh, you know, all over the planet. And every week it seems like I'm earning an MBA. So I became a student of leadership. And now two decades later, here we are. Well, let, let me back up a little bit um, because if they were recruiting um, and they had access to so many great candidates, what was it you think that they saw in you that made them want to come after you and encourage you to make this career leap? Leap. It's hard to say because it's over, you know, 20 plus years ago. But I would think that if I were to look back uh, from across the table and look at me, I probably saw this young, curious individual that just would not stop asking questions. I asked questions about their process and, you know, why they thought a leader would do a certain thing. How did they reach that conclusion? And uh, I think uh, they felt that that curiosity, that uh, insatiable appetite to learn, is, it was something uh, that appealed to them. I, at least I hope it did, because uh, it's the element I look for when I look for folks to join our firm. You know, curiosity and a drive to learn seems to be uh, recognized increasingly as a key attribute for hiring and all kinds of Fields. When I talk to my clients who are leaders or others who may be looking for work, it feels like, um, oh, the old idea that you could go to engineering school or law school or something and get your knowledge and then take it and sell it somewhere, that's gone. And now it, it, it seems like people are looking for learners, for curious people. Would, would you say that's correct, that there's more focus on this than ever? Well, exhibit A, I have a master's in industrial engineering and see what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you're absolutely correct. You know, I've always felt uh, that you start with a basic DNA that you look for. Now, each company has a different culture. They look for different things that ensure that the, the right kind of candidate uh, achieves ex excellence and success. But the number one element that I think is common uh, among any company is what you just said. Are they open enough to be molded? Do they know their blind spots? Do they accept their blind spots? And will they accept a coach? If the answer to all of those are yes, I think you have the beginnings of a leader. And then you start building on that fundamental basic building block. So recognizing those kind of characteristics and helping uh, folks who have them to present them, to, to show them off a little bit. It feels like part of what um, a search firm can do, but it's gotten much more complicated than it used to be. Uh, so much is not done by that one-on-one -on -one intuitive leap. It's, it feels like technology is playing a, a different role. How do you um, show off skills like that in, in the modern world when, technology is such a big part of the search uh, system. You know, another big reason I think I stayed in this industry was the fact that I was shocked by how little technology had played a role in its evolution. 
Now, don't get me wrong, uh, compared to when I started, where we looked at things like white pages and yellow pages, we have much more sophisticated databases and systems and all kinds of ways to you know, interact with people using a mobile device, for instance. But there has not really been a massive disruption uh, in the executive search space. And I think the reason for that is trust. You know, a CEO and a board, Bev, they retain a search consultant because they trust him or her to give them her insight, their understanding of the company's culture. And the brand that they work for, now, you know, granted, if you're with something like Kingsley Gate Partners, where, like you correctly pointed, as a global brand, you did, do get invited to the dance. But in the end, it's the consultant that they looked to retain. So as a result of this trust, a myth was sort of born. This so-called, quote, unquote, high-touch industry can never be disrupted by technology. I believe that's truly a myth. I believe technology is coming to this industry like a freight train faster than people realize. But that doesn't completely answer your question because what you're asking is what can people, your listeners do? Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, the first thing I would say, Bev, is put yourself out there. What do I mean by that? Build a LinkedIn profile. You know, there's this sort of stigma attached to this in certain industries and at certain levels. You know, if I put my resume as the way they think about it out there, it seems like I'm being desperate. Why would I do that? And, you know, especially if I am a rising individual in a hot industry, there's no reason for me to put myself out there. Well, here's the problem. In the month of February, if you are a rising star in the restaurant industry or the hotels industry, brick and mortar or airlines, by April, you may have felt like the rug was pulled out from beneath your feet and you were not ready for what suddenly hit you. The lesson over there, Bev, being you really cannot predict the future. So here are a few things I believe you should be doing. First, build that LinkedIn profile extensively. This is a place where you build your personal brand. Let people know your achievements and accomplishments the millennials put themselves out there. So if you are not a millennial, this does not come naturally to you, please take my word for it. It's going to be important, especially if something like COVID hits again. Second, build relationships with people like me, executive search consultants. And believe it or not, I'm not trying to play hard to get, Bev. I get about 100 emails a day. And if I answered every one of them, that's all I would be doing. So you need to find ways to get to a relative or a friend that knows somebody so that you can get to build a long-term relationship. Then, this may sound counterintuitive, network with executives outside your domain and industry. Because, you know, if you were somebody that was selling DVDs at Blockbuster, overnight, that industry went away. And by the time you redesigned and retooled yourself, it may have been too late. And lastly, I would say, build a digital persona. That's a little different from the LinkedIn piece. Don't be afraid to opine on leadership and management and share articles, post articles. Now, stay away from anything that's controversial, anything that's religion, politics, or you know, anything in the tabloid variety. But the fact that you put your thoughts out there lets people let people know you not just as a skill-based resume, 
but as a human being and a person. And this can go a long way in ensuring that you keep going up that ladder. So if I were to summarize it, you know, don't make yourself just searchable, but knowable, if that's a word, Bev. Yeah. So, so find ways to um, not just put up a billboard, but actually engage with people. And a simple way to do that can be commenting, whether it's LinkedIn or um, uh, Twitter or um, Facebook or other kinds of actual uh, listserv communities. No matter how you do it, find a way to comment on the things that you like, you believe, and you agree with, and uh, um, try to to get to know the person who you are reaching out to, and 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 talk about something that's of interest to them. Is that absolutely? And not just reach out to the person and know about the person you're reaching out to. Let people out there who you're not reaching out to know about you. See, there's no downside to this. Yeah. You don't want to catch a future uh, you know, company that's going to hire you by surprise, nor do you want to be surprised. So telling them that you believe in a certain kind of leadership or certain kind of management only ensures that the people that believe in similar kinds of management and leadership reach out back to you. So you know, make yourself known even though you don't know those people individually. So just looking at um, the last few months since COVID started, have you seen a rapid change in relying on um, um, technology? I mean, on um, new things that that weren't even thought about much in January or uh, how have things changed in the last few months? You and I are old enough to know what uh, it was to go to work in January and February, right? Yeah. Uh, things have dramatically changed. You know, one sad part is I believe the an industry that's going to get completely shaken up is the commercial real estate industry. And look, there are people out there, Bev, who are dying to get back to a physical building to work. Uh, you know, they miss the social aspect. They miss the structure. And sometimes the home environment is not conducive to be productive. So I get that. But there's an equal number, maybe more, maybe a little less, group of people who find themselves to be even more productive while working remotely. Also, they feel a greater sense of job satisfaction. So when you have these two very disparate groups of people, you know, my prediction is that what an office is going to look like in the not-too-distant future is going to be dramatically different from what it looked like at the beginning of this year. And while it's important to get together sometimes for creative needs, to provide structure, it is, is it really that important to be there all five, six days a week? Is it important to be and meet, be in the office and meet every single person? Probably not. So what, what I envision, Bev, is... Let's say you were at a New York office and let's say you had like, oh, I don't know, 200 offices and five conference rooms in a large building in, in midtown Manhattan. Well, maybe now what you need is 25 conference rooms and only about 10 or 15 offices. And you go to the office maybe one day a week, maybe two days a week, and it's the same day that the people you interact the most are there and you have a very clear agenda 
that requires you to do things that you could not do uh, with video conference, for instance. And then maybe uh, one day a month or maybe two days a month, uh, you know, here's a way that industry and the uh, very hard hit restaurant business could get together. Maybe Kingsgate Partners and the Gramercy Tavern, for instance, get together and say, okay, we're going to book the restaurant on every third Thursday from 12 to 5. And we'll work together from 12 to 2. And then we'll get together socially from 2 to 5. So I think there's going to be a very different concept of how people work together in the very near future. Future used to mean 5, 10 years from now. Because of what has happened to us, I believe future is being defined as 60, 90, 120 days from now. It's coming fast, Bev. And yeah. my advice to people is embrace it or you may not enjoy it as much as you, you could or should. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. I think some of the people I work with are lawyers, fairly senior lawyers, who um, uh, are not on social media much, um, don't see themselves as having a need for that role, and have been a little cynical about um, very often uh, remote work because they they want to be able to go into somebody's office and kind of figure out you know what to how to approach an issue, um, and. I'm. I think I've never been as blunt as I am these days, telling people you got to get over it. Um, the way uh, you're going to have to manage people uh, remotely, the way you're going to have to onboard people uh, without seeing them every day, uh, the way that you're going to have to foster innovation, you know, without those great lunches. Um, all those might be changing. And so even if you feel awkward with some of the technologies, now's the time to, to learn them. There are all kinds of free classes out there. Um, and if nothing else, don't dismiss them, whatever the technology is. Don't dismiss it um, before you try it. If somebody wants to ha- have, you, have you look in that direction, would you agree with that? Uh, 100%. In fact, I've been equally, if not more blunt, I've been telling people, snap out of it, move forward, or you will be left behind. Uh, because the, the world's not going to wait for us to jump in a car, get stuck in traffic, and be there you know, 45 minutes from now when you could actually do the same thing, have the same meaningful conversation over video conference within the next 30 seconds. I I think uh, we just have to you know try to go with the flow and and uh, um, keep trying even if we feel awkward sometimes. Well, there's so much going on that it's tempting to for leaders I think to forget about some things um, that also have great concern like diversity and inclusion. So I was very interested to 
read something you wrote about how even though there's a lot going on right now, uh, now is the perfect time for organizations to be making investments and getting serious about diversity and inclusion, even though it's kind of a crowded universe at the moment. Can you elaborate on that? And Did I say it correctly? Uh, you did, and I'm happy to elaborate. Look, the, the biggest argument for diversity and inclusion from a business perspective is for companies to reflect who their customers are meaning the employees reflect the customer base so they can understand them better, serve them better, and that obviously results in better revenue and profit. Now, if you look at the industries, Bev, that have been hardest hit by this pandemic, you know, think about restaurants, hotels, real estate maintenance. These industries have had a disproportionate number of diverse employees impacted by this because they've actually been doing a terrific job of being diverse before the pandemic. So while the customer base remains the same, the employee base is dramatically changing. So the better run companies, the ones that think forward, this is what I've been observing, they understand that when the economy turns, they're going to be at a disadvantage for not being able to understand the customer base or service them as well as their competitors could if their employee base does not reflect the customer base. So they're being proactive, going out of their way, retooling, retraining, bringing diverse employees into their fold because sooner or later we're going to be out of this and we're going to have to deal with competition and business. And investing now in DNI at all levels, from leadership all the way up and down the organization chart, is not a social move. It's a smart business move. So if a, uh, an organization is not doing much hiring now, but they want to get serious about DNI, do you have some suggestions about how um, they can address issues, whether it's moving people into leadership or um, uh, uh, looking at systemic problems. How, how do you start if you wanted to do the right thing, but you don't know where to begin? Look, the, the, I, I think the biggest issue uh, confronting DNI initiatives is this uh, concept of unconscious bias. There's a lot of debate, as you know, Bev, going on around our country because of the social situation we find ourselves in. Uh, I'm going, and that, for the most part, focuses on conscious bias. Now, I'm going to leave both the debating and the solutions to social experts. That's definitely not my area of expertise. However, unconscious bias, that bias, Bev, that exists in you and me and everybody else as a result of you know, where we were born, our parents, our teachers, our friends, every person and place that has had an impact on our thought process, that's the area that leaders need to focus and invest on. So one way to overcome that, obviously, is to do what we were just talking about. If you have a diverse group of people on the hiring side, on the interviewing side, then theoretically, one unconscious bias could cancel another and you could have an optimal result. But I also believe they should be using tools and framework to help them uh, 
go through this. For instance, you know, Kings Gate Partners has a structured interview tool called Athena. Now, it's just an interview like you would interview an individual. The difference is when I interview you, I'll ask you a question. You'll answer. Now, I will interpret that answer based on some of my unconscious biases that exist within myself. But when a system is interviewing you, the interpretation of that answer is consistent and standard regardless of who the interviewee is. And those are the kinds of tools that we need to put in the hands of leaders so that they can get past this concept of unconscious bias and truly grow companies that bring the best leaders to fore and not leave people out simply because of something that we don't completely understand about ourselves. So using technology, you can remove some of the interpretations which are based on kind of ancient ideas or just total fallacies. You you can get rid of some of those roadblocks and allow the true information to, to flow so you can make comparisons. That's true, but uh, you know, and and I want to make sure that I'm not insinuating that this is being done willfully. It's not that somebody has an axe to grind. You and I may not even know why we reached that conclusion or how we got to that inter- interpretation. It may have simply something to do with the way we saw the world because of the way our mental structure is, uh, you know, due to all the circumstances we talked about. Yeah. But helping somebody through that actually is an educational process even for the interviewer. And most people I find are very open to They'll say, boy, I really didn't think that I thought that way. And that's a positive, uh, you know, that's a point of progress. Well, I, I agree with you that now is a good time um, to to really grapple with unconscious bias and everybody will benefit. But I want to change gears. I just Gosh, time's going fast. I uh, I wanted to ask you um, for some advice uh, that maybe you can share with our listeners just about leadership in general. A while back, you wrote a book about leadership uh, called "There's No Elevator to the Top." I love the title. I think what you're um, you're saying is there is no ladder that you can methodically work your way up. Advancement's more complicated than that. Uh, do you have any? Um, suggestions for people who who maybe would like to move ahead as leaders maybe they're happy where they are now uh, but they just feel like they're not moving how, how do you get some traction if you're in an organization and you want to climb the ladder a little bit you know when I was preparing for this podcast have I sort of dusted off an old copy of the book and I was wondering is there anything of relevance you know I wrote this book a dozen years ago And then I realized that the book was launched by Penguin during a global financial crisis. And now we're finding ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic. And when I started reading some of those chapters or rereading them, I realized that there are lessons that are timeless. Uh, One of them was, you know, we talked about networking back in the day that was more, you know, by meeting people in person and over the telephone and today it's more digital, but that hasn't changed. But what has changed is the circumstances that are driving this crisis does not have a playbook. In other words, there isn't a manual that says during COVID-19, you do need to do these five things. Yeah. So... 
we've you know we've always had this uh, roundtable at Kingsley Gate Partners, which is called Galaxy of Leaders, and we would invite CEOs from around the world in different cities around the globe, and we would bring them in. And to be completely frank, this was as much a marketing exercise for us as it was you know an interesting conversation. So when COVID hit, we were wondering how we could change this, and we thought, okay, we'll do a virtual uh, roundtable. And frankly, I was very concerned whether we would have any engagement. I was blown away. Just two weeks ago, we had one in Latin America. We had 500 seats. We were completely closed out before wow. we even got started. Well, the reason for this is, the, I'm tying it to the book. You know, I interviewed about 50 CEOs around the world. And one common thread was this. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And the reason we have this sort of sold out uh, roundtables of the galaxy of leaders is CEOs actually don't necessarily know what they need to do right now or for the next six, 12 months. And I found people to be incredibly generous with both their time and their information saying, you know, this is working for me. This is not working for me. So number one uh, common thread that I found in the book that's still relevant today is secure Confident leaders have no problem asking for help. You'll find that people want to give it to you. Another common thread I found, uh, which was equally important during the global financial crisis, more important today, is be transparent and authentic with how you communicate with your employees. People that report to you, tell them where you stand, they'll understand. Don't make up stuff. Don't come up with stories that are not authentic and credible. So those would be a couple of things I think that are still valid in 2020. Well, I agree. Those are those are both important points. Now, on the topic of leadership, when you were starting out, like way back before you were in the search business and you were still working in engineering, right? Um, Correct. Did anybody give you any great leadership advice or is there any advice you wish somebody had given you back when you were starting your career? It's more the latter, I think. Know that you never know what you don't know. Sounds simple, but once you completely understand that, you will always want to learn, you will always want to improve, and you will always surround yourself with people better than you. If you do those three things, success awaits. I... I love that. I, I think we're talking about learning being increasingly important. And part of learning is um, having a little humility. First, you have to be humble enough to ask questions. And you have to be humble enough to think you don't already know the answers. So those are that's a really good theme. Do you have any other uh, parting advice for our listeners about how to uh, foster leadership? Stay healthy, stay safe. The world needs you. Thank you. I agree completely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Bev, it was my pleasure entirely. Thank you very much. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's tip is that there's no simple way to work your way to the top of an organization. But one key is to ask yourself every day, what else can I do to be helpful here? Thanks for joining us today. We hope you'll come back soon for more good talk about building a rewarding and resilient career.